Please stand for the reading of God's word from Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Sean, and good morning, particularly if you're visiting. I know we've got a few folks that are visiting today. Shout out to some Philly friends that are in the house as well. It's great to have you with us. Uh, We are continuing a series this morning uh, in the book of the Psalms. We're calling Songs of Ascent. Uh, We're featuring the first half of the Psalms of Ascent. That's as they're known, this section of Psalms 120 to 134. We're going to get through 126 by the time we're done this summer. Uh, And these set of psalms are are known as something like uh, a songbook for those who are making the religious pilgrimage up to Jerusalem a few times a year, three times a year in particular, to celebrate these annual festivals that, that constituted and reconstituted the people of God inside the story of God's deliverance of them, his commission of them to be his people in the world, and his blessing of them through three main festivals of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Uh, these, these songs are psalms. They were meant to be more than just read. They were meant to be sung. Uh, these were meant to be the playlist that you took with you on your journey because the iPod, even the five-disc changer or boombox, had not yet been invented. So you had to sing if you wanted to hear something that wasn't just the sound of your feet hitting the gravel for miles and miles. These songs then help prepare their hearts for their anticipated time together as the gathered people of God, with God, on this long journey. It sharpened their hunger for God as they sang them so that the journey itself even became part of their worship, part of their life together with God as his people, remembering his deliverance, remembering his care, his blessing, how he hears them, how they matter to him, how he acts for them. And as one author, Eugene Peterson, points out in his book about these psalms, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, these psalms can be used to the same effect in our lives, to sharpen our hunger for God on the long, slow road of discipleship and following after him together. And so I hope this series will do that for us, that it will grow our hunger for the things of God, that it will sharpen us as we learn to follow him, that it will direct our hearts more and more to walk in his steps and to do these things together. And today we're going to continue looking at these psalms through Psalm 122. Uh, There is a lot more than I could get to here today, and so we're going to do our best with some of these things, but it's a rich psalm, and I would encourage you, and this will in some ways be a little preview of an application at the end, to, to come back to this, to come back to each of these psalms that we go through throughout the week as we go through them, to let them be things that are on your heart things that you meditate on, and things that impress of who God is upon you. 
So today we're going to focus in this psalm on one of the most critical, if not the most critical aspect of the life with God, which is worship. This psalm talks about worship, someone going up to worship, being invited to do that, being delighted to do that. And so we're going to look at what this psalm shows us about worship through two things. We're going to look at the ecosystem of worship in verses 3 through 9. And we're going to look at the command to worship here in verse 4. So the ecosystem of worship and the command to worship. Well, before we do that, would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads, ask God to fill up our time. God, we come having opened your book, your word, which is full of what you would say to us. And these pages are full of your words that communicate who you are, what you think of us, what you would do for us, the price that you would pay to have us back, the grace that you would extend to us, the forgiveness and the open arms that you have for us, the way that you are patient with us, even when we are stubborn and hard-hearted, even when we can't get out of the habits that seem to dog us, even when we can't get out of the relational messes that seem to be around us in our lives, you are still there pursuing us. You are faithful on this long journey of life that you have given us. And so now, as we come before you, as those wanderers, tired, lonely, weary, would you come and meet us? Would you fill our hearts up with what this psalm is about, which is interaction with, meeting with, encounter with you, the God of the universe, who was and is and is to come? Would you be more than simply words on a page, though? Would you, by your Holy Spirit, be life in our lives? Would you be the breath in our lungs? Would you be the heart of our hearts? Meet us now. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. If not, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We're going to go back through the text a little bit together. Uh, Starting first with the ecosystem of worship. The psalmist starts and finishes this psalm by talking about, says, the house of the Lord. Verse 1, verse 9. And that house of the Lord, that temple of the people of God, was pivotal to God's people at that time because it was there in Jerusalem and there and there alone that there was the exclusive dwelling place of the presence of God inside the Holy of Holies. In the innermost sanctum of the temple was where God dwelled, not somewhere else. You couldn't just go anywhere in Israel and find the presence of God. At this time, there was one place and one place only that you could go to find the presence of God, and that was in the temple inside Jerusalem. That was the one place. But in a psalm that starts and ends by talking about the worship of God through the temple, going up to the house of the Lord, the writer of this psalm spends most of their time, verses 2 through 8, talking about the city where that temple lives doesn't talk about the worship of God explicitly all that much, doesn't even talk about the temple very much except at the beginning and the end, spends most of the time talking about Jerusalem. It seems a little strange. When we think about, I was excited to go up to the house of the Lord, but then I spend all my time talking about things that are not the house of the Lord. What is happening? You are now entering into my thought process when I open this psalm to start preparing the sermon. What is happening? 
Well, the connection is that by starting and ending with talking about the temple and having the city be situated inside of that, the psalmist is making us see that what's really special about this place, what's special about this city, is not just the things that he's enumerating, it's actually that city's connection to God. It's its connection to the worship of God, to being that one singular place where you could go and meet with God. That's what makes the city have these characteristics. That's what makes it a place of joy, as verse 1 can say, is not any of the trappings of the city, but what that city is connected to, what's at the heart of that city, which is the temple and the presence of God. And when God's presence is in a place, when his worship is there, it carries, as this psalm unfolds for us, a whole ecosystem of life with it. It has a character to it. The worship of God, the character of God, who he is, doesn't stop at the doors of the temple. It spreads out. It bursts out. It can't be contained. It runs through the streets of the city that surround it. It changes the nature of that city. So what the psalmist unfolds for us then is not just an impressive city if you're coming from the country and haven't seen a city for a while. It's not just a nice place to be. He is unfolding for us an ecosystem of worship with God at the center that is the source of all that comes around it. Everything around it stems from that center and leads you back to that center of gravity. This city is an ecosystem. It's a whole tied around the worship of God, changed by the presence of God there. And the psalmist is encountering all these different aspects of things that go along with the worship of God as he is walking through the city. Take a look at these verses, verses 3 through 5 and 7 through 8. We'll make our way through them a little slowly. In verses 2 and 7, the psalmist talks about the city gates and its walls, it says in our translation. It's more literally ramparts, which would have been defensive walls. They were walls with paths that you could walk along to make the defense of the city happen if you were being attacked. These were, these were defensive markers to ward off attack in ancient times. They were boundaries. They were givers of protection. If you were inside the walls, inside the gates, as we talked about in our Nehemiah series last fall, you had stability, you had safety, you had predictability. If a city in the ancient world did not have walls, did not have gates, you were vulnerable. You were like a body without an immune system. You could be attacked and shut down so quickly. So this is a place that, that in the midst of worship, being centered around worship, is going to let you do that safely. Going to let you do that in a predictable way. In a way where you can be vulnerable because you are not feeling vulnerable because of attack around you. This is something that we may take for granted in the West, but many churches in other parts of the world are much more persecuted. You wouldn't naturally feel maybe in a house church in some more difficult parts of the world like you could worship safely. In fact, some of the ancient churches only sang very quietly or not at all because you could be heard and you could be arrested and you could be beaten and killed. We may take for granted what this psalmist is not taking for granted, which is that the city walls were making worship a thing that you could do in peace, safely. 
Verses 3 and 7 talk about this city not just as a place of safety, though, but as a place of beauty, stability, calls it a well-built city, a city that's joined together well. It would be something that you would admire from an architectural perspective. It has function as well as aesthetics. It fits together well. It functions well. It supported your ability to worship. It got you in the mindset of worship with its grandeur and beauty. Some of the greatest cathedrals are about these things. Even our own building, with some of the way that it's designed, is meant to draw us up into the worship of God, to lift our hearts out of just the ordinary and the everyday and into the eternal and the timeless. A city with its castles and palaces, our translation says towers. It's a little bit tricky to translate exactly, but it's meant to convey places of beauty. This this is not just a functional city, it's also a beautiful city that has elements of beauty to it that would give you this sense of awe and wonder that would draw you up and in. Verses 4 and 8, though, show that it's not just about safety, it's not just about beauty, it's also about a place of gathering. The psalmist says it's where the tribes go up. This was the family of God. This is where you came together. He talks about brothers and companions or fellow worshipers, that they're all there. So it's a big place. This is not a tiny little spot. This is a big place where many people could come in and be together, worship together. The psalmist is painting a picture of a place where there is room for you. You're not stuck on the outside, you are able to actually come in. It's not just, though, a place of gathering. Verse 5 talks about it as a place of justice and power for life, a place of making things right and giving resolution to conflict. That's what thrones were about. They were the seat of justice in that day. They represented the justice system, the court system. That's where you came to have a dispute resolved. That's where those in power would make things right or were supposed to make things right for those who had been wronged. And it's a place of justice and power set inside the story of God's grace because it's the throne of David, not the throne of Saul. Saul was chosen, it seemed, based on his looks, on his size, on his physical presence, on his ability to be what people thought they needed. But God chose David based on his size? No. He was the smallest. He was the youngest son. He was not the one that you would pick as most likely to lead, most likely to provide safety and goodness. God picked David in his smallness, and he stayed with David despite the many ways that David went completely off the rails and made a mess of providing justice and actually took justice away from people. This is the story of a place where you can come back from having made awful mistakes. This is what the psalmist encounters as he's going through the city, making his way towards the temple for worship, a city that is stable, it is safe, it is functional, it is beautiful, it is just, it is gracious, and it is full of relationship. 
This is his introduction to the worship. This is the appetizer on the way to the entree that is being with God. It is only building up expectation. It is only setting the table for what it's like to be in relationship with God. If these are the outer courts of God's presence, imagine what it will be like to be face-to-face with the presence of God. This is what you're encountering, these pieces, these signals of what God is like. And that's intentional. It's on purpose. There's a connection between the temple of God and the city of God and the things that were there that were at least supposed to be there. The psalm gives us a sense of connectedness between the characteristics of of what you find in the city and the worship of God because it's God, again, that is at the center. He is what makes this possible. He is what animates this ecosystem. City looks like this because God is there, and because God's worship is there, the city looks like this. There are meant to be these parallels. That because God is there, there is justice and peace and grace. And because peace and justice and grace are there, it must mean that God is there. You're meant to encounter, be caught up into the fringes of the ecosystem as you come closer and closer to Him. This is what it looks like when worship is at the center of a place. When it is the heartbeat of a people and a city and a land. But Christians don't go to Jerusalem anymore. This is not a requirement of the Christian faith. Some faiths require pilgrimage to certain holy places. That might be something you enjoy to do, but it is nowhere in Scripture required in the New Testament that we, as now the the multinational people of God, would go back to Jerusalem. So how does this psalm, talking about worship in that place, help us now who don't interact in that same way? What does this picture do for us? What does something similar and yet different because of Jesus? Because of Jesus, now the dwelling place of God is not in one single place, in one single town, in one single country, but the dwelling place of God, Scripture says, because of Jesus Christ, is now in you. In everyone who believes. The presence of worship has moved in. Because at the cross, Jesus removed the sin that kept us out that made us want to be out, that made us want to get far away from God, to have nothing to do with him, to have nothing that we wanted to do with justice, grace, peace, friendship, relationship. All we wanted was us magnified, and Jesus puts that to death there at the cross, letting the ecosystem of sin and death swallow him up, that instead you and I might have the ecosystem of grace that comes through faith in him. So that by his resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit living in us by faith, he brings us in closer. He doesn't just bring us into the temple. He makes us his temple. He doesn't just make it so that you and I now go to church. He makes us church. We don't have to be this people on a pilgrimage to a holy city. We are the holy city on pilgrimage in the world. The temple has not gotten smaller, it has gotten bigger, mobile, diverse. 
more beautiful, not less beautiful. This is what Christ does for us by his sacrifices. He elevates our worship. He brings worship into you that you might not have to go far off and find it, but that he would come near to we who were far off in our sins so that no one would be left outside. So that it wouldn't be city walls that would keep you out or in, but it would be the walls of his grace and the gates that are open that welcome you in. He takes away what separates us to bring us near that worship might be available to all. This was always going to be the plan. This was the promise to Abraham. It wasn't going to be just for Israel, but that so that in blessing this one people, he would bless all people. The blessing is always meant to go farther out, deeper in, and that's what Jesus does. He takes what was local and specific for a time and makes it global and historic and for all time. We have more in him and not less. And so getting back to to the city and this psalm and how it's talking about it, now that we are this temple, we are church, what the world was meant to encounter in this one city of Jerusalem, in this ecosystem of God's grace, radiating out from the worship of God at its center, the world is now meant to encounter in us, in everyone who calls on God. We are meant to be a sort of walking Jerusalem. We are meant to be in ourselves as a community, a place of stability, safety, function, justice, grace, relationship, mercy, beauty. We are meant to be the city that draws you in to the worship of God. We are meant to be your introduction to who God is. Our lives have been given the dignity of being these great and grand things. When you see an amazing castle, when you see an amazing cathedral, you think, what an amazing, beautiful thing. And God is saying, you now, by my Holy Spirit, are much more beautiful than any physical building or thing could ever be. You contain the beauty of the worship of God. What other religion is giving you that? It's giving us in our smallness and our passing nature the infinite greatness of God living, dwelling by his presence in you. And we are made to be that that kind of people, that kind of appetizer to the worship of God, not by our own power, but by being connected simply to the grace of God in the same way that Jerusalem was meant to be this shining city by being connected to the grace of God. They were there by the grace of God, rescued and delivered from slavery by the grace of God, made into a massive people from one man who Hebrews says was as good as dead by the grace of God. In the same way, we are made this this introduction to the goodness of God by God's grace, by what is in him, not by what is in us. We don't have to manufacture this on our own. All we have to do is introduce others to the one that we've been introduced. That's all we have to do. 
is draw on him. Share him, not us. You don't have to be great because he is great. You don't have to be this amazing worshiper because he is the one you worship. He is the one that we introduce others to. Our worship on Sundays can be bad. Praise God that it isn't. And sometimes it will be rough or even rustic. It doesn't have to be good because God is good. It doesn't have to be amazing because he is amazing. What if our hearts were directed at God no matter what else was in the way, no matter what the service was like, no matter whether or not it had our preferences included or excluded because our hearts just wanted to see him? That's what we're drawing towards, to find it in him, not somewhere else. And that brings us to our second point, which is the command in verse 4 to worship here. Verse 4 tells us that the ancient people of God were, were commanded, it says it was a statute, to come to one place, to come here, as it would turn out, to worship God together. This is where he would establish his presence. He would establish this, this ecosystem of grace. It was a rule. It was a command. And so when we hear that, in our more modern sense, we probably think of it differently than Israel would have heard it. I want to unpack this. We probably think this was a command to worship instead of not to worship. That this was a call for them to do something instead of nothing. But choosing between worshiping or not worshiping was not their world. That was not the ancient world, and that was not Israel's problem in the ancient world. In the Old Testament, the problem for the people of God is not that they are pictured as doing nothing instead of worshiping God. The problem is they are always pictured as worshiping the wrong things in the wrong ways. It's never about zero or one. It is about different expressions of worship, worship going wrong, not zero worship, but worship in the wrong direction towards the wrong things that can't hold you. That was the problem. The problem was the direction, not getting it going at all. If you go back through the Old Testament, that's what you're going to see time and time again, that it's the direction of worship for the people of God that goes wrong. And we're going to talk about how this is true of us in a minute as well. But we need to see this command first as a direction not to just worship when they otherwise wouldn't, but to worship in one place according to the one way that God said, when they would otherwise worship any way they wanted, anywhere they wanted. This is not a command to either not do something or to do it, but to do it God's way, to follow him in that, to listen to him in that. And we as modern people in the West do not like that. We do not like being told to do something someone else's way unless we agree with that way. And we agree with that person and then we're okay because they're mentoring us. But we do not want to be told, do it one way. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't like that. I don't like that. Let's be honest. None of us like that by nature. That's not us in the West. But this is what God is calling them to. And it is no less challenging for them than it is for us. I want us to hear this as a challenge. God is calling them. He is going to call you, if you're going to follow him, to worship in one way. To follow him in one way. And we can confuse that at times and think that Presbyterianism in some way looks like it or a congregational or a Baptist church or this kind of worship or that kind of worship. That, there is great freedom and latitude in what it looks like, but there are specifics about what it means to follow God in his way. 
There is a flexible methodology, but a fixed theology. And this command comes back from Deuteronomy 12, verses 1 through 7. If you want to turn there, that's fine. I'm going to read through it, though, just the same. God says, these are the statutes and rules. This is after they are coming out of Exodus, out of slavery, getting ready to go into this place that was not yet theirs. These are the statutes and rules that you should be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods on the high mountains and on the hills. We talked about that last week. And under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars and, skipping ahead, you shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. God calls his people specifically, like we talked about last week, not to worship on the high places and the hilltops, which we said represented these these places of your spiritual effort, of you putting something in, of you in some way making the difference for yourself instead of coming open-handed and empty-handed and letting God make the difference for you. The hilltops represent our efforts to spiritually save ourselves in some way. They ask us, to put some measure of effort in to find the strength we need. God calls them not to worship in that way. He says, you are not to worship me like that because I am a God of grace. It is not you saving you. It is me out of love and grace saving you. They were to worship not in those ways, but in God's ways, God's way of grace at the one place that he would give his presence just by grace, Jerusalem. God's way is to worship him by grace. By grace. So the command to worship here in Jerusalem is to worship, it's to be commanded to worship at a place that won't require you to save yourself. That's what this call is about. God is forcing his people, commanding his people to not go somewhere where they would have to work harder. See the grace of God in that. As much as we don't want to be told what way to do it, God is saying, I am trying to tell you how to do it in a way that will not be as hard for you. In a way that will be better for you, that will lead you somewhere that you actually want to go instead of charging you a lot to get somewhere you don't want to be. The command is not to start worshiping when we wouldn't, but to do it in a way that will lead to life, to put the weight of our life on something that is outside you, because if you could save yourself, then the problems wouldn't be within you. The call is to go somewhere that will give you what you're looking for but cannot possibly provide yourself. something the whole world can't provide, which is just gift, grace. 
And God's command to do that is not just specific to Israel because we all are prone to worship something. We don't think that in our modern times. We think that we've moved past gods. But the reality is we still put our hope, our desire into things that look exactly like the kind of worship that the Old Testament people of God would have done. We think that because they are not gold or silver or made in the shape of animals that it's not worship, that they're not gods. But we know in our hearts, if you take that away, I am crushed. And that's when you know the absence of a God that was in your life. When you had put your hope in getting some degree that you're not going to get in the end, of getting into a school that you're not going to get into in the end, of having a relationship that you're not going to have in the end, getting an assignment, getting a career, getting a house that you're not going to have in the end. When that thing is a God in your life, the absence of that thing is crushing. We still worship, we're just not as honest with ourselves about it as ancient people were. We've told ourselves that it's not actually worship. But the reality is, it is. The question is just, where do you worship? What do we worship? What does it cost you to have that thing? How much anxiety and anger in your life is wrapped up around you getting that thing? How much is that thing corrupting the way that you treat other people? Treat your parents, your siblings, your children, your roommates, your friends. How much is that leading you into depression, into pain, into physical difficulty, into financial difficulty? The call from Psalm 122 is to come to the one place where your worship will not let you down in the end and won't make worship unsafe for others in the end. Again, that's not Jerusalem anymore, but it's still the God that called his people by grace to Jerusalem. It's the same grace, but it's just moved inside. Because of Jesus, the ecosystem of grace moves inside and walks around with us because it is in us now by his spirit. So the invitation of this psalm is to just come, to be glad like the psalmist can be glad because you don't have to go to those other places where it depends on you, where you have to work hard and get less. You can be glad that you can go to a place where you don't have to try to be loved. You could just be loved. So how do we do that in some more practical ways as I come to a close here? I want to encourage us to do two things, one of which the psalm names particularly, to pray and to go to the source. First, to, to pray. Verse 6 through 9 give us one answer for what to do in response to coming into contact with the ecosystem of grace, with the worship of God like this. It calls us specifically to pray to go in our hearts to that one place where our needs can really be met. And see, in some ways, Jerusalem was meant to be a focusing 
of God's people to see that there is one place, just as there is one God where their needs can be met. In the same way, Jesus Christ is meant to be that new Jerusalem that would focus our hearts to see that there is one place, one God, where our needs might be met. And prayer calls us to go not to all of our places of effort and striving and manipulating and working and whatever it might be, but just to that one place of it being by God's grace according to his gift. So ask God in prayer to show you what your ecosystem looks like in a more honest way. Ask him to show you where your life looks like you're actually worshiping somewhere else, where the ecosystem looks like the center of that city is not God's grace. It's achievement, it's success, it's power, it's acceptance, it's comfort. Ask God to to do the things that you can't and to make worship come alive in you, to make him be the center of the city of your life. Because in prayer, we are doing that thing. We are coming to that one place. We're turning away from ourselves and from anything else to just come to him and ask him, would you do this? I can't do this. That is exactly the right thing to do because it's always been about him doing it. And so I wanna encourage you, do that practically today. Whether it's just for two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, find some time today when you would normally space out, worry, be angry, be frustrated, numb, and just pray. Talk to God specifically about what is on your heart, maybe about that thing you know you've needed to talk about for a long time, and you've not wanted to do that, or just the small thing that's right in front of you. But take your worship to that one place, the desire of your heart in prayer. And second, go to the source for a life of worship. Go to where prayer is taking you. Go back to God and do that in different ways. Do that here in corporate worship, in our time together. Make it a commitment to be at worship more regularly than you have been this year. To be invested here in a way that's greater than you have been before to be serving more, participating more, to let people know you more, to get to know more people here, to be more financially involved and supportive here, to be more involved in care here, in supporting others, in doing things for others, in acts of service and grace. Come back to the source. This is where you are shaped by the story of who God is that he might be at the center of your life. And individually, go to, go to the source in Scripture, to where God reveals his heart to us here. Find him there. Similarly, even if only for two minutes this week. If you don't have the Bible app on your phone, if you have a phone, put it on your phone now. Do it today. Put it somewhere that you can't just scroll by it, right? Put it in your face. Come back, even if it's just for two minutes and you don't know what else to read except these psalms. If you come back to these psalms, if you go to the Gospels, whatever it might be, just come back to the source because your heart is always looking for a center of worship. Bring it back to the thing that won't hurt you and won't hurt others. So that the people around you can really experience the grace of God, which is for sinners like me and like you. Let's pray. We like to leave a little space to invite you to talk to God about some of the things that he's put on your heart today, maybe thanking him for 
for letting you depend on him for what you need just by grace, not by being good enough. Maybe confessing the ways that you've wanted to to worship in your own ways. Choose your own path. Maybe ask God to, to grow your worship in a place that it feels stagnant. To let worship flow out of you in a way that's felt stagnant and not happening before. Let's pray for a few moments. Father, would you hear these prayers and answer in your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.